This is BWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi, this is Richard Ingebretson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. We're talking about clothing today. Uh, it seems almost like it would be an afterthought or uh, something you don't put a lot of effort to when you're planning for an outdoor adventure, but it really is the first and foremost uh, important layer of protection between you and whatever elements that you would come in contact with. And really, no uh, level of skill or planning can make up for the ill-chosen clothing if the weather turns for the worst. It's essential to understand the fundamentals of layering to make sure that you can stay safe when you are in the outdoors. To understand uh, the use of clothing, it's really first to have an understanding of heat. Really simply put, heat is uh, energy. The more energy there is in a system, the more heat there is in a system. Temperature is the measure of heat, or in other words, the measure of energy. There's no such thing as cold, and a lot of times people will think they put on clothes to keep the cold out or the cold away. What you're doing with clothing is allowing the body to uh, release heat. Uh, um, Hot or heat, which is energy, really moves from hot objects to cooler objects. Our body is almost always hotter than the air around us. It is true, uh, you know, we're about 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees centigrade. We're almost always in in an environment that's cooler than that. It is possible to be in a temperature hot than that, but we don't tolerate it for very long. As such, since the temperature around us is usually cooler, we are giving off heat. And that becomes important to do because if you have too much heat, you become hyperthermic. The trick is is to control how much heat is being given out from our body at any one time. And this is done through the use of clothing. In reality, all that we can do is control the heat as it leaves our bodies. If the body can't divest the set of heat, the human core temperature raises quickly. If we give it off too quick, the heat off too quickly, then the body temperature drops and become very cold. Uh, clothing is designed uh, specifically how much and how quickly heat can leave the body. It is never designed to keep cold from coming in because there really is no such thing as cold. There are three ways in which heat can leave the body. One is radiation. Radiation is how most heat uh, leaves the body, over half actually. Heat lost by radiation is continuous and it occurs during the winter months when temperatures fall significantly below uh, the threshold of heat transfer. Conduction occurs when the body is in contact with any object that is uh, colder than the body. Heat loss by conduction can be a significant issue when it's in contact with snow, ice, or cold water, when you're skiing, uh, snowboarding, or when you're uh, river rafting. Convection occurs when heat is transferred away the body through circulating air currents or wind. It's like sitting in front of a fan. It's why we feel cooler when the wind is blowing. That is called the wind chill factor. Heat loss by convection is significantly worse during the uh, winter months in a winter storm uh, with exposure to the wind. How many times have you been outside in the spring and thought, oh, this is a beautiful day, and then the wind starts to blow, and you go, oh, I wish the wind would stop. Evaporation is the process that occurs when you sweat. It utilizes all three methods of heat transfer, and it's not a separate method. 
It's crucial to keep in mind the different ways that heat is lost from the body in order to understand how clothing works. Heat always moves from hotter temperatures to cooler temperatures. No heat can be transferred between two objects that are at the same temperature. Believe it or not, that's the first laws of thermodynamics. So usually human beings like the air temperature to be 20, 30, 40 degrees less. And when your body temperature is 98 degrees, you say it's 68 degrees outside, it's pleasant. 70 degrees is a very pleasant temperature for people. And that would be, you know, comparable down to about 20 degrees centigrade compared to 37 degrees. People like that. However, as the air temperature rises, radiation, which is normally the way we lose heat, it no longer is effective and stops working. And, it's the, and as we get closer with the air temperature and the body temperature, the body has to rely on conduction and convection. What happens is the body will begin to pour sweat on our skin. And in so doing, it, it facilitates conductive heat losses and hoping that wind blows across it uh, to get rid of heat that way. But finally, when the air temperature becomes the same as the body temperature, no heat can be lost from the body and the body will start, uh, the temperature of the body will start to uh, rise dramatically, and that's hyperthermia. Hypothermia occurs if a body loses uh, too much heat too fast. So clothing is put on us to facilitate either keeping heat in our body or to facilitate heat leaving our body. And if you think about the things that you wear or the things, the, the things that you don't wear, when the temperature goes uh, up and down, you'll automatically get an idea about just what it means to have different types of clothing on. As the temperature drops, you put on things which stop radiation, stop conduction, and stop convection. As it gets warmer, you wear looser clothes, lighter clothes that facilitate heat transfer. And that's how it works. So we bundle up when it's uh, cold and we take clothes off when it gets uh, uh, warm. One of the most uh, excellent conductors of heat, of course, is water. One of the poorest conductors of heat is air. In fact, heat, uh, air is probably our uh, poorest conductor of heat. For example, in the summer when we want to conduct heat out of our bodies, we go swimming. If we want to keep in our bodies, we will surround ourselves with air. Air, that's what our clothes are made of when we try to stay warm. Fibers and fabrics such as wool are excellent insulators because they have a lot of air in them. Since water is a good conductor of heat, the inside layers of clothing are designed to move, which they use the word wick, but to move or wick water away from the skin, thus preserving heat in our body. If you don't have water next to your body, then not as much heat is going to move away from the body. So that becomes an important concept in clothing, that is, to uh, wick water away from the skin. The concept of layering uh, is... Uh, really critical heat transfer out of the body is best controlled uh, with clothing worn in layers. Uh, remember, the, the goal is is to move heat from our body, which is always going on, in such a way as to to have a uh, it, to prevent hyperthermia, and of course to prevent hypothermia. Uh, body heat is trapped in the dead air spaces in the middle layer, creating insulation while perspiration is wicked away from the skin and through to the outer layer to prevent conductive losses. Wind and rain, which is convection and conduction, cannot penetrate the outer layer, therefore limiting, as we said, convective heat losses. Not all clothing, however, is designed to insulate. 
Well, let's just talk about the, the layers. The base layer is the layer of clothing directly against the skin. And its purpose is to wick sweat away to keep you dry. Uh, this includes socks, underwear, and an initial pants shirt base layer if it's in uh, colder conditions. The middle layer is for insulating. This layer really functions to retain body heat by creating dead air space. Air is our worst conductor of heat, so by putting a lot of air in that middle layer, you will keep heat in your body. If you want to lose heat, then the middle layer should be taken off. So this can be in clothing such as shirts and pants, thus an extension really of the wicking base layer. The outer layer or shell is a, usually a, a water or wind-resistant barrier between you and the elements, keeping the wind from blowing across someone and causing, and causing like convective losses uh, of heat. If you uh, don't plan on wearing these three layers throughout your trek or hike or backcountry uh, experience, it would be prudent to at least pack these types of layers to have them just in case. The benefit of the layering system is flexibility. If conditions change, you can always peel off layers to cool down or add layers if you need to, uh, if the weather uh, takes a, a colder turn. If you don't take these layers, you really might be left out in the cold. Some clothing will help move heat away from the body. For example, in hot environments, loose-fitting loose clothing should be worn instead of tight-fitting clothing to move heat away from the body as it facilitates ventilation, which means it facilitates convective currents. Well, let's just talk a little bit about the simple kinds of fabric that you should wear. That and What fabrics are appropriate to wick water away from the skin, insulate from heat, or facilitate heat loss? The topic has been discussed by recreationalists and clothing makers of all experience levels for quite a long time. It can take some experimentation to figure out what you know what works best for you and the ones that you like. However, there are some basic guidelines to consider when choosing the fabric that best fit, that you know that best fits your activity and your goals. Wool is an extremely popular choice uh, with good reason. The 3D wavy crimp style fibers trap air easily. 80% of material uh, that wool is made of is air. It's an extremely good insulator and will keep body heat contained in the body, near the body in cold uh, weather. Wool uh, also absorbs a lot of water. Now, you may, that's, that is bad, uh, but in so doing, it keeps it away from your skin, and um, it will also keep you warm. For example, merino wool is capable of holding about 30% of its own weight in water absorption before the, weather, uh, the wearer can even feel it on their skin. Uh, even with the water that it has absorbed, the wool maintains insulation, which is a huge advantage to wool. Um, wool is also wind-resistant. This property makes it an ideal fabric, a very, very ideal fabric for most activities that you're doing. Many people use wool as their base layer. Once it was had been aligned for being itchy, uh, but now the new ultra-fine merino wool is itch-free. It's naturally breathable. It's uh, moisture-wicking. And it, it dries uh, uh, very quickly, and it's not prone to odors like other materials. There are other materials like polyester and nylon. These are synthetics, and this is uh, man's answer to uh, wool. Uh, fleece is the big one. They offer real quick uh, drying capabilities, and it's uh, more affordable in many ways. These fabrics are extremely durable and make uh, great slacks and shirts and coats. Synthetic fibers like this have 3D patterns that, are, that imitate wool. Uh, they, they're warm and they're wet. 
uh, they do not absorb moisture. Uh, they dry very, very quickly uh, and are just as warm as wool, but they're only about half the weight of wool, so that's a big advantage to them. The one problem is that synthetics have poor wind resistance, and if you've ever worn a, uh, a synthetic uh, fiber jacket, uh, you know that the wind just goes uh, uh, right through them, and that's probably the biggest downside to them is that they don't really shield against wind that way, but they, for every other way, they're very good, and overall, synthetics... Uh, have a very uh, have a fantastic and affordable option that uh, many choose as their base layer. Down is the uh, underplumage that is found beneath the feathers of ducks, geese, and uh, other water fowl. Uh, it's a natural insulation. Goose down insulation itself does not consist of feathers. Goose down fr frequently contains terms like, if you go to buy it, like 600 plus fill goose down or 900 plus fill goose down. Uh, these numbers indicate how much goose down is actually added to the coat or sleeping bag. This is known as the fill rating. The higher the number, the more goose down insulation is added into the coat or sleeping bag and the warmer that it should be. Down is extremely soft. It has really good insulation and is very, very lightweight. It must be packed in compartments for this reason because it will, it will, uh, it will uh, compact and then it will lose its properties. So if you buy the, the down jackets and sleeping bags, it's in compartments. It's, an ex it's very excellent to use for sleeping bags and coats as it packs well and it, is, uh, it, it conforms to the user. The problem with down is that it will clump when it is wet and lose its ability to create a dead airspace, thus losing its uh, insulated properties. So you have to be careful if you're taking this on whitewater rafting trips as, and also if you're going to be backpacking You've got to make sure that your backpack and the, the, the sleeping bag is covered because of that reason. Silk is often used. That's a soft, luxurious fabric. It's really thin and light, making it a really good choice for moderate, cool weather conditions. The downside, that it doesn't wick moisture away from the skin as well as wool or synthetics. So it isn't a good option for warmer days or activities with a great deal of exertion. Another uh, consideration of silk is that, like synthetics, it can be prone to odor. The softness of silk also results in it being a less durable fabric, and it's very vulnerable to abrasion into sunlight and tends to have a shorter uh, lifespan than other products. Uh, cotton uh, is never a good choice for outdoor activities, even when layering. There is a reason that experienced recreationists use the phrase cotton kills. Um, cotton does not effectively wick moisture away from the skin. It doesn't dry quickly and so it's a very poor insulator. While wool will keep you warm when you're wet, cotton will keep you cold when you're wet. Even cotton socks should be avoided as wet and cold feet are a recipe for absolute disaster. So in reality, cotton does not kill, but hypothermia does. It's easier to get hypothermia when you wear cotton, not because it doesn't insulate you as well as other materials, but because it just doesn't insulate you well when it is wet. Cotton is a very comfortable and cheap option for lounging around at the campsite, but should be you know, avoided for active pursuits. The synthetic fibers are human-made and produced entirely from chemicals to create fabrics like polyester, rayon, acrylic, and many others. Natural materials such as cotton, silk, and wool are made of animal and plant-based fibers. Over the years, synthetic fibers have increasingly grown in popularity, they are resistant to insects, fungus, and have little annoyability to absorb moisture. 
Synthetics can easily create dead space, and because they are usually cheaper to produce, they are cheaper to buy. But a serious drawback of synthetic fibers is that they melt. Since they have little or no ability to absorb water, they will always insulate, however, when wet, and that is a huge plus. I have sleeping bags made of down, and I have sleeping bags that are made of synthetic fibers, and I choose which one depending upon the trip I'm going on. The fact that uh, synthetics will always insulate when they're wet makes them uh, ideal clothing for wet environments like river trips. However, synthetic clothes are heavy and do not pack well, so they are really not suggested for hiking. Micro channels can be created in these fibers to create compounds called qualifil and PolarGuard. Qualifil is made by DuPont and is used both in sleeping bags and in many insulated jackets. The problem with qualifil is that it is a bit on the heavy side and bulky side. I have lycha, or, uh, sleeping bags made out of qualifil, extremely warm, and uh, even when it rains out, I stay warm, but they are heavy. PolarGuard and all its various derivatives is considered the premier synthetic insulation by most people and is used in high-quality synthetic sleeping bags and clothing. New iterations of all this have made material significantly less bulky, while at the same time improving the insulative abilities by around 10%. Lately, super-thin fibers, which are small synthetic fibers, have come out. These are very tiny, so manufacturers can put more of these in clothing. This means more dead airspace, and thus if you have more air, you have more insulation. Since they are small, they are also very light and they pack well. In fact, if you buy these jackets, you think that they're not going to be warm because they are so thin and so light. But they are some of the warmest warmest clothing that we have and the warmest jackets that we have. They stay dry and they, uh, they keep their warmth when wet. There are not too many negatives with super thin fibers. They can be a little pricey, but they're coming down and you can find them pretty cheap. Primaloft and Thinsulate are really good examples of those. So tying it all together, um, and now that you've learned about the basics of layering and fabric types, it's, it's kind of time to uh, summarize this. Uh, we've, di- we've discussed the three main layers. The, the, the first layer, which is the sweat wickling layer, the insulating layer, and then the sh- shell layer. And these are the, the optimal uh, ways to, to um, uh, dress when you're out. The best fib- fabrics are wool, synthetic, and silk, but how do you combine them? So the base layer needs to be one of the high-performing fabrics, and wool is considered by most to be the best, but some are using synthetic and silk. It's purpose to uh, sweat away to keep you dry. Most people consider this to be the most important layer of all. The weight of this base layer can change depending upon the season and activity. Examples of this are capillene, uh, litha, and uh, uh, dry line. The middle layer, which is the insulating layer, functions to retain body heat. This is the layer that will keep you warm, and it's typically the thickest or heaviest weight material of the three. Wool and down are popular choices for mid-layers, but you can also choose fleece or synthetics with high loft options such as PolarGuard, MicroLoft, PrimaLoft. For wet weather, it would be wise to choose an, you know, synthetic pile or fleece options as they get soggy and lose its uh, insulating capabilities in wet conditions. Synthetics are breathable and easy to ventilate and wash. I think a good rule of thumb to follow for the mid-layer in colder weather would be to plan on wearing a synthetic as your go-to and to always pack an extra down jacket, something like that. Down puffies are easily compressible and lightweight 
and they can also be used. The outer shell uh, is a water or wind-resistant barrier between you and the elements, being the first line of defense against cold and water. The layer needs to be able to repel rain and snow and, and wind, but also be breathable. You don't want your perspiration to build up inside your layers. That would defeat the purpose altogether. In wet uh, conditions, in, in, in really wet conditions, go over something that's completely waterproof uh, with features like sealed seams, zipper guards, and uh, cinchable hoods. Things like armpit zips and mesh pockets can help you ventilate even while working up a sweat in wet conditions. In drier conditions, you can consider using a lighter shell that is just windproof. These typically aren't very waterproof, but they're highly breathable and packed down small enough to fit into a pack. Well, now that you know the essentials of dressing for the outdoors and how heat moves and some of the material, you can simply mix and match your layers to appropriately match the conditions that you're going to be hiking and uh, recreating in. Remember, and always remember, that what you wear is what is keeping you safe against whatever Mother Nature throws at you. There is no bad weather, there's just only bad clothing is the saying that recreationists use. Well, this ends the podcast on clothing. Uh, Again, thank you for listening.